Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Brothers and sisters, if you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, and if you would please rise as we honor the public reading of God's word. First Peter chapter 1, this morning we're, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. Not of, in, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord once again in prayer. Father, how we do plead with you that you would help us to see the glory of our new birth by your word and spirit, that we would see the greatness of this incorruptible seed of your word which has caused us to be born again, and that, Lord, in so doing, that you would enable us by your grace to love one another well, that your name might be praised and glorified. And so, Lord, sanctify us even now. Sanctify us by your word, producing in us love for the glory of your name. We ask all this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the, the best gifts you can get uh, any woman who's important in your life is flowers. Flowers are uh, beautiful. Most of the time, uh, women appreciate that. I know my wife does. I know uh, my mom does. Um, you can uh, usually uh, do this if you got you know Mother's Day coming up or perhaps a special occasion. You know you you get flowers uh, for uh, a woman that's important to you. One of the things that's clear whenever you get flowers, especially if you go to a flower shop and get these flowers, is that it is, while it is a, a beautiful gift that um, anyone can just look at and appreciate how beautiful it is, there is uh, yet a, a very um, temporary nature to the gift, especially if you go to a, a flower shop where you know that the flower is not in the ground, it's already been, its roots have already been cut, it's going to uh, die very, very quickly. It is beautiful to look at, and yet its beauty is fleeting. It's a great gift because it can be the beauty can be appreciated, and yet we, we recognize when we give things like flowers to people that we're not giving a permanent gift. And here in this passage in First Peter, Peter is comparing the word of God to such kind of uh, passing things in this life. The flower of the field is passing, and yet there is something that is different. Uh, you know, even all the glory of man, he says, it's just like the flower. Everything that we see in this life is in some ways like a gift of a flower. Uh, all of the greatness of man, uh, all of his glory, 
all of the things that we can pursue in this life, in very many ways, they are like the flower of the field. They pass away. And yet there is something which is fundamentally different, fundamentally different from the flower which passes away, or all the things that we look around and we see that pass away. And that is the word of God. It is the word of God. And here, Peter is saying in this passage, if this is true, if the word of God is the one thing that will not pass away, it is not uh, something of fleeting beauty, but it is something that endures forever, then surely your life must be built upon this word of God. And if your life is built upon the word of God, then it will mean that you will grow in your love for other Christians. It'll mean that you grow in love for other Christians. Now, here in this passage, Peter is continuing to exhort the people of God towards holiness. This is what we've looked at the past couple of weeks. We looked at two weeks ago how uh, we are to be obedient children, and therefore our lives are to be conformed to the Father, even as the Father is holy, even as God is holy. So we are to be holy. Last week, we looked at how a part of uh, the reason why we are to be holy is also because we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. So we are to be like the Father in his holiness. We've been redeemed by the Son. And here this week, we see that we are born again. We have been born again by the incorruptible word of God and through the Spirit. And so the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the work of all three persons of the Trinity, uh, give us grounds for the way we are to live holy lives. If, if we have God as our Father, we must be holy because he's holy. If we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we must be holy because of that redemption. And if we've been born again here in this passage, if we've been born again by the incorruptible word of God to become sons and daughters of God, then we must grow in our holiness and in our love. And remember as well that all of these things are being exhorted to us in the context of suffering. They must be true of you even in your suffering. And so we're going to look at this passage this morning under two headings. Uh, this, this passage is set up exactly like uh, the, the, the previous two, there's a call to, to holiness, and then there are reasons that are given for, for why we are to pursue that holiness. And so we're going to look at the, the call to holiness, which is the call to love in verse 22, and then in verses 23 through 25, uh, that we have been born again. And that is the grounds for why we are to be holy. Now, there are a few extra things that we get in verse 22 that we've not seen uh, in the previous calls to holiness. There are a few ideas that are combined and a couple other details that are added. Notice here uh, the things that are com the the the, the uh, aspects of holiness that are pointed out. First, we have in verse twenty-two: since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren. A few things here are being combined. Notice here the the idea of being purified, the idea of obedience, and the idea of loving the brethren. All those things are combined in, into one idea. This this word purified. Uh, in the original is actually more related to the idea of holiness. You have been sanctified. Uh, if you're sanctified, you are pure. But the, the word is related to, to holiness. And so these three ideas are combined. Holiness, obedience, and love. Holiness, obedience, and love. And the reason these th three things are combined is because there can be no holiness without love. And there can be no love without obedience. There must be all of these things. And the reason I emphasize that is because uh, there are some today who will say that you know obedience in the Christian life is not necessary. That you know I've been I've been saved from my sins. I've been justified by by grace through faith. And if that's the case, then I I know I'm forgiven no matter what I do. 
And in, in a, in, that is, of course, a true doctrine. You know, no matter what we do, we're forgiven and we're justified. But that does not mean that obedience is not necessary. Obedience is absolutely necessary. It's not necessary for our justification, but it is necessary for our sanctification. There is no holiness without obedience. There is no holiness without obedience to the law of God. And the law of God, and that, the reason for that is because holiness is seen in the way we love one another. And the, command, the commands that we've been given are to love. And so the only way that we can actually grow in our holiness is by obeying the word of God, which commands us to love. There can be no growth in grace without also a growth in obedience to the law of God. There's no holiness without obedience. Now notice as well, we're also told in verse 22, whom we are to love. And this is, a, again, a, a bit more um, precise. There's more details that are added than the previous calls to worship. Notice what, he, what it's, it calls to holiness. Notice what he says. And it said twice, you, you have sincere love of the brethren, and therefore you are to love one another fervently with a pure heart. Loving one another and loving the brethren, both uh, phrases that... Uh, teach us that we are to love other Christians. Particularly the way that we, we know that we've grown in holiness is by our growth in love for other Christians. Now, it's of course true that we are to love every single person that we come into contact with, uh, every single person in this world we are to love. But Peter is pointing out here a very important aspect of our holiness, which is that even more than our love for other, for other people, we are to have a particular and special love for every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a special love that you are to have with every single person who is your brother and sister because they are also members of the household of God. And so think about the way the Apostle Paul says this at the end of Galatians. He says, you know, do good to all, but especially those who are of the household of faith. There is a special love that we are to have for other Christians. And think of what the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 13. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, for one another, speaking of other Christians. There is a special kind of love that you are to have for Christians that goes uh, beyond the kind of love that you have for people in general. Think of uh, Psalm 133, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Not all people dwelling in unity, but brothers. When brothers and sisters dwell in unity, it is like oil which is poured out upon the head of Aaron. It's like the anointing of the high priest, the anointing of the Messiah. When brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Now, if you were to ask, why is this? What, what's, the, what's the reason we are to love uh, Christians more than uh, all people in general? What's the, what's the basis for this special kind of love uh, for them? Well, one of the, the ways we can understand this is by thinking about um, the foundation for loving all people. Why is it that we love all people, say, more than uh, a dog or a cat? Um, the, the scriptures clearly say we were to love people, and it doesn't really give us the same commandments for any other kind of, of animal. Uh, the reason is because all people are made in the image of God. And that's something that, that sets every single person apart. Even after the fall, all people are still made in the image of God. And every single person who is made in the image of God must be loved on account of that image. If you love God, you cannot then hate God's image. And if loving God is the, the highest obligation in your life, then surely loving those made in his image is also a very high obligation. So for that reason, 
We're to love every single person that we come into contact with. But brothers and sisters, think about the way that works for a Christian. A Christian is not just made in the image of God. He's also been remade in the image of God through Christ, a benefit which was won for him at the cost of the blood of the eternal Son of God. He's been adopted into the household of God, the same household that you yourself have been brought into, such that now every single person who's a Christian is your brother or sister. If this is then the basis for your love for Christians, surely you see it goes far beyond even our obligation to love uh, to love all people. Uh, every Christian is not just made in the image of God. He's been remade, is now a new creature in Christ, and is a son or daughter of God in a way that's not true of every single person who is outside of Christ. And therefore, you must love uh, other Christians. Something I, I have said in a number of sermons is you can't have God as your father without also having the church as your mother. And there's something else very similar we can say. You can't have God as your father or Christ as your elder brother without also having every single other Christian as your brothers and sisters. You, you can't have the one without the other. If you are in the household of God and call God your father, then also it is true that every single other Christian is your brother and sister. This is exactly what conversion does. When you're converted, you are brought into the household of God. And it's for this reason then that uh, in, at the end of Matthew 25, when the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the clearest indication of what the last judgment will be like, he says, you know, I'll separate the sheep on my right and the goats on my left. And uh, one will go away into everlasting punishment and the other into uh, everlasting bliss. And what is the one criteria that's given as the reason why this separation is going to take place? It is, well, the people on my left did not treat me well, the Lord Jesus Christ says. And they say, you know, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and not feed you? When did we ever see you naked and not clothe you? And he says, whatever you did not do for the least of these brothers of mine, you did not do to me. And, and the other way is true as well. The reason that the sheep will be led into heaven is because they saw Christ when he was naked, when he was hungry, when he was thirsty, when he was in prison, and they served him. And they ask, you know, why is it? We, we didn't see you in all these situations. And he says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. The, the, the greatest evidence of your true faith that will, be, that will be evidence before God on the last day that you are one who truly believed in him and uh, you, you didn't have a faith without works and that therefore you are sheep and you'll be led into heaven and God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. The primary evidence that is given will be your love for other Christians, will be your love for other Christians. Did you serve Christ well? And is that service of Christ shown primarily in your love that you have for other Christians. Think about this, brothers and sisters. When you interact with another Christian, when you meet another Christian, you, you are in the presence of royalty. You are in the presence of someone whom God loves so much that he was willing to send his son to die for that person. And, and in dying for that person, he brought that person in so that now this person that you are interacting with now is, a, is someone who is a co-heir with Christ and will reign with Christ forever. 
And once this becomes a reality, then this this ought to, to dominate every all the interactions that we have with other Christians. Think of the way Paul does this in First Corinthians eight. You know, there's this this uh, this tricky question about meat that's sacrificed to idols, and there are some people who uh, think that they're acting correctly, but yet they're not um, they're not taking into account the weak conscience of their brother. And Paul says, "Listen, you you know, e even if you're right, you have destroyed your brother for whom Christ died. Don't you realize?" That regardless of, of whether or not you've gotten the small detail right, this person is one for whom Christ died. And that reality ought to govern every single interaction you have with another Christian. This person was loved so much that God sent his son to die for that person. You must love other Christians. You must love other Christians. This is what Peter calls you to. And notice then, even the way he describes this love. In verse 22, there are a number of things he says. It must be a sincere love. It must be fervent. And it must be with a pure heart. The word here, sincere, is the idea of non-hypocritical or unhypocritical. Uh, that's the, the way the, the word works in the Greek. I'm not even sure if we have an equivalent word in English. But uh, a love that is not just merely for show. A love that's not merely outward. It's not. It's, it goes far beyond just being polite to somebody. It is a love that is fervent, deep, felt within the heart. It is uh, a love that reflects the same kind of love that you have yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ. And how could it be anything else? God counts whatever you do to one of his children as done to him. Christ counts whatever is done to one of, of his servants as done to him. And so, brothers and sisters, it ought to be your greatest joy in life to even be able to do to just do anything for another Christian, that you would be willing to give a cup of water to a servant of Christ in his name simply because he is a servant of Christ. This ought to be the, the great ideal that you strive for. This is one of the greatest tests of holiness in your own life. It is uh, if you have not made good progress in your love for other Christians, if when you look at other Christians, you do not have uh, this immediate felt deep fervent love for them. If you've not grown in that, then no matter what else you've done, you've really not made good progress in the Christian life. But if you have, if, if when you see another Christian, you say, look, this person, this person is so honored by my God. I will, I'll do whatever for this person, whatever, whatever they need. I'll, I'll, I'm very happy to do it because I love my God. This single attitude is great proof that you have made great progress within the Christian life. Is it your joy and privilege to worship or to, to love other Christians simply because they are Christians? When you are able to do this, the church moves forward. When you are able to do this, as Christ said, all people will know that you are my disciples. And when you don't do this, no matter what other good works you might say that you're doing, or what other good things you're doing for the church, God's name will be blasphemed. And what is said of the Jews in, in Romans chapter 2 will also be true of you. If you cannot love other Christians, then God's name will be blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. If you cannot love other Christians, God's name is blasphemed. Now, all of this, this is the, the call to, to holiness that Peter gives. All of this is given within the context of suffering. And I think the reason why Peter does this is because when we suffer, we have a tendency to look inward. 
We have a tendency to focus on our own problems. And when we do that, when we look inward, we often are not able to look outward. Uh, when, we, when we suffer, there's a temptation to look inward, but love always looks outward. It looks towards the needs of others. And so even as you're thinking about this, uh, it's particularly something that you must think about when you suffer. When you suffer and you have your own needs, do you also look to meeting the needs of others? Do you, are you also concerned about the way uh, others are getting on? This is uh, a great temptation. Again, the reason why I'm even, I even chose to preach through First Peter is because of all the suffering that's going on. And you think of uh, the way we've been affected by coronavirus, the way we're affected by um, the protests, all the racial tension, the, uh, a lot of ways instability of, of things that are going on in a way that I've never seen in my life. Uh, many of you probably not in your own lives either. All of these things have caused sufferings in various ways, and there's all kinds of other ways that we're suffering. When you suffer and you're tempted to look inward, no matter what kind of suffering you're undergoing, you must remember that part of your holiness is continuing to love others. Think about the way this worked with the Lord Jesus Christ. When the weight of the sins of all of his people was put on his shoulders, and he had to undergo the wrath of God, even then he went to the cross for the sake of others. He did not turn inward. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning and shame, that all of his brothers and sisters might be brought to glory. That is the example of love that we are to follow ourselves. Now, why are we to do this? What's the, the reason, the grounds of it? In verses 23 through 25, you have been born again by the word of God. Why are you to love this way? You have been born again. You've been born again. It's language of, of uh, being given new life. And particularly, it's a language related to sonship. When you're born again, you are now a child of God. You've been born by the word and the spirit, and therefore you are his child. Uh, in, in adoption, God declares you to be a son. In regeneration here, being born again, you are made a son. You are made a son so that now you call God your father. This is a theme that uh, Peter has used all throughout the, the opening chapter of this uh, epistle. Verse 3, you've been born again to a living hope. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to, to uh, the former lust. Verse 17, if you call upon God as Father, and then here and now, you having been born again. This is one of the great themes. If you are a true child of God and you've been born into his household, then you must love other Christians, other people who have also been born into this household. Now, if you were to ask, well, how is this done? How is it that I was born again? Notice what, what this passage teaches. It was through the word of God. It was through the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This passage in particular emphasizes uh, the reality of the word of God as being used for the sake uh, of your new birth. Think of a passage like John 3, though, where the emphasis is clearly upon the work of the Spirit. These two things always go together. The Word works, uh, the Spirit works through the Word. The Word gives life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the way, brothers and sisters, that all of you were given eternal life. Th think of this and how great it is, this Word that we have. All of the other books that you'll read, all of them, are nothing like this, nothing like this word. They cannot give you life. Think about the word of God, though. Not just, not only does it give you life, 
but even the life it gives you is eternal life. It is called the incorruptible seed, which produces in you an incorruptible life. If this is the case, if this is the way the word really is, then clearly within the Christian life, within your life, the word of God must be the highest priority. It must be read. It must be studied. It must be memorized. You must sit under the word preached. And no matter what it takes for you to get the knowledge of God in the word, you must pursue it. And even then, as you think about uh, loved ones, people that you, you know who do not know God, even then, if you think, well, what can I do to, uh, to help them uh, to know God? The answer would be the word of God. Make them exposed to the word of God. So every opportunity you get to, to say something about uh, the word of God, speaking the truth and love, do that. Or even uh, inviting people to church, uh, having them sit under the preaching of the word, do that. And then the other thing that you can do is pray. You pray because being born again only comes through the work of the Spirit. You pray that God would uh, honor the, 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 the Word of God and that He would use it to give life to others. Now, we don't know with the Spirit. You know, think of the John 3 passage. We don't know uh, how exactly the Spirit works. We don't know when or where He's going to work. You know, in John chapter 3, Jesus compares the work of the Spirit to the wind. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes to. It just works. But... Even though we don't know everything about the way the Spirit works, we do know one thing. He works through the Word. He works through the Word. That is to say, uh, it, we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but we know if it happens, it'll be through the Word. And therefore, the one thing that we can do to help others to come to know God is to put them in the way of the Word of God. That's, that's where the Spirit of God works. Now, the rest of the passage then is a really a great description of the word of God. Peter uh, exalts the greatness of God's word, and he does this through a contrast. And this is something that Peter has done uh, also in the previous two sections where he's exhorted people to holiness. You are to be uh, holy, uh, not being conformed to your former lust as in your ignorance, but you are to be conformed to God who is holy. You've been redeemed in verses 18 and 19. Uh, not by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Christ. And here again, we have another contrast to show the greatness of the word of God. You've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's an image of planting. The nature of the plant is related to the nature of the seed which plants it. If you plant corruptible things, a corruptible seed, as is the only option that you have in regular gardening or planting, uh, it will not last forever. As the seed is corruptible, so too the plant which comes from it is corruptible. But brothers and sisters, think about the greatness of this. You have been born again already through the incorruptible word of God. It's not just saying that at some point in the future you will partake of this great blessing. The word of God as an incorruptible seed has already given you life through the, the sprouting of that seed, so to speak. The life that you have is the life of everlasting life. Eternal life has already begun in your hearts as you experience uh, the, the, the life of the incorruptible seed. Think about that, brothers and sisters, how great the word of God is. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said, that uh, until I come, not even one jot or tittle will pass away from the word of God until all things are accomplished. The word of God will last forever 
and you will last forever. You will have eternal life and have eternal life because you have been born again through this same incorruptible word. And Peter goes on then to, to uh, quote from Isaiah chapter 40, where there is a similar contrast that's made. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Here that the negative part of the contrast is uh, a comparison of flesh and the glory of man to grass and the flowers. Everything, the greatest of all people that you can see, they they are like the grass, they are like the flower, they will fall away, but not so with the word of God. The word of God endures forever. Now, there's an important change here that the, that Peter makes when he's quoting Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, in the original, it says, but the word of our God will endure forever. The word of our God will endure forever. And Peter says the word of the Lord will endure forever. The reason he makes this change is because in the New Testament, uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ is described, he is predominantly described using this word Lord. And so Peter wants to, to narrow in. It's not just uh, any word, but it's specifically the word of the gospel, the word about Christ. It is the word of our God, but it is the word in the, the context of the gospel. And this is exactly what we see with the, the context of Isaiah chapter 40. At the end of uh, uh, and, and in Isaiah chapters 38 and 39, we have a, a prophecy about the coming exile. People of God are going to go into exile. And Isaiah 40 then prophesies the return from exile, always referring to uh, the, the salvation that would come in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a, a voice that's in the wilderness because the people of God are in exile, calling the people of God back uh, into the presence of God, which happens through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in this context then that... Uh, Isaiah asks, what shall I say? And the message given is, in this context of proclaiming the salvation that would come through the Messiah, all flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. The word of God, the word of God, particularly about the salvation that would come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why then Peter makes this identification the last part of verse 25. This is the word which is preached by the gospel to you. The, the, the word about the coming of the Messiah is the word which you yourself have received. And even later on then, the, the very next verses in Isaiah chapter 40 speak of Zion uh, being a proclaimer of good news, a, a one who preaches the gospel. Zion preaches the gospel because she knows her savior has come. And so it is with you. When Isaiah preached these, this message, it was a word of hope for a coming generation. But for you, it is something that you actually experience. Everything that Isaiah was pointing to, the word of the Lord, this is the gospel which you yourself have received. Now, brothers and sisters, if you have been born again by this word of God, if you've been born again by the work of the Spirit and are his child, you must love all of those who are also in that household. You cannot be born again and continue to hate your brothers and sisters. Anything short of great love for them is inconsistent with the gospel by which you have been saved. This is why the Westminster Confession of Faith says there's actually a greater obligation to obey the law after the coming of Christ, not less. There's a greater obligation to obey the law 
because you have received greater blessings. And these blessings are the grounds for your obedience and your growth in holiness and grace. May God grant you the grace to grow in your love for other Christians, that you would truly see them as your brothers and sisters. And so in this way, that his name would be worshipped and praised. Let's pray. Father, how would you thank you for your love to us that you did send your spirit to us to bring us new life by your word? And Father, help us to see that this is a reality not only for us individually, but even for uh, all others who call upon the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to grow in love for them that your word might be honored, that the nations might worship you, that they might come to Zion and they say, come, let us go up to the house of God that we may learn from his statutes. Lord, we, we do long to see your glory go forward. And so, Lord, please do advance your kingdom by sanctifying your people. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.